The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Kirsty Spragon is the go-to person for those wanting clarity, perspective, and a good dose of truth delivered with a little tough love when needed to push people out of their comfort zone and into their deepest work. Kirsty has the powerful capacity to hold space for the human experience to unfold, and she does so with love, grace, and empathy. For the past 10 years, Kirsty has been working with clients in various capacities all over the globe, from Fortune 500 organizations to CEOs in one-on-one sessions, to keynoting at events, to three-day retreats, Kirsty brings deep compassion, an arsenal of healing tools and adaptive approaches to her work. She knows what it takes to live brave, dig deep and do her inner work and she leads with courage and fearlessly goes after her dreams. To find out more about Kirsty, please visit her website, kirstyspragon.com. That's K-I-R-S-T-Y-S-P-R-A-G-G-O-N.com. Kirsty, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, sister? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much as well for reaching out to me. I think I reached out to you recently and you conducted a breathwork ceremony for myself, my mother and my two daughters. And it was amazing. And I just want to thank you once again for taking us through that for what I would call a very memorable experience to share with my daughters and also my mum. I wish my uh, wife was there to experience it too. So next time, for sure. I'm so glad that you chose to do that too, because not everyone does the deep inner work with family members. And it's such a different sacred space. And I think it opens up conversations for you that wouldn't normally be there with mum and daughter and I think it's a beautiful experience for people to share with family members. It is. And I guess I would love to explore with you, for anybody that has never heard of breathwork or if they have heard of it, what exactly does it mean to do work in the breath or work on the breath? 
There's so many different kinds of breath work. There's everything from your pranayama and just general breathing. I mean, especially at the moment with so many people in fear and stress and anxiety, I think one, you, you actually shared an excerpt from your book recently on Instagram, just talking about calming our parasympathetic nervous system. Most people don't even realize that they're not breathing through the day and they're in this <gasps> anxious sort of tight hell and they're just not relaxing and just taking in right now while you're listening just take a long slow deep breath into your belly it might be the first one you've had all day and just take a couple more while we keep talking and you'll notice like that calms you out of that frenetic state that anxious state so there's breath work like that and then the breath work experience that I took you through and it was a combination of using shamanic breath and what Dan Groff termed as holotropic breath work, which I don't use, but is one that's more common and well known. But using these breath work practices to take us into altered states of consciousness. For some, they'll go back into the womb states. For others, they lucid dream or astral travel. And they have a massive purgative effect, purging from our somatic body what we store and the science behind that is epigenetics and again it's something that the majority of people I didn't know until my 40s I'd never heard of epigenetics but it's really the science and study of what we store in our body and there was a study done I think I can never remember if it was rice or rice <laughs> mice or rats and they had them in a, with a stimulus it was cherry blossoms and they reacted in terror because they had a stimulus around fear with this cherry blossom put in the cage. And then they went on to have babies and three generations later, they'd never been introduced to a cherry blossom. They put the stimulus in the cage and straight away they reacted with the markers for terror and fear. Women who were pregnant at the time of 9-11, the babies came out of the womb with the markers for PTSD. So stuff can be stored our grandparents, if they were in the Holocaust, you know, if they were raped, things that have gone on two, three, four, five generations back, just that we know of. And this is where beautiful practices like breathwork that take you into those altered states of consciousness allow you to access what's stored in the somatic body. You had an experience, you've done a few now, where you can see how it just releases emotionally. It brings everything up to the surface. And it's such a beautiful, gentle practice. I know myself, when I first got into it as a attendee and practicing, I had some incredible experiences where I would just be weeping. And sometimes you don't even know what for. And what I've learned is you don't need to. Just allowing your body, trusting your body to release what it needs to and to surface what is ready to be removed. Tell us about the first time you'd heard of it and what that was like for you. Were you skeptical? Did you go into it and go, you know what, I'm going to give this a go, but seriously, is this another woo-woo path that am I going to be having to eat lentils all the time or whatever it may be, you know, sorry to any lentil eater out there, but you know what I'm talking about. For me, it was actually a solo practice and experience so I I mean this is where we're going to get really woo-woo up front but I had been working with plant medicine ayahuasca bufo maybe five years ago and then they sort of opened up a doorway uh, a channel uh, for me to tap into those different states non-ordinary states of consciousness and then maybe a year after that I started having experiences where in deep meditations where I would drop into a trance state by myself 
And so it was almost like the medicine showed me what was possible, just like maybe a monk who would have to sit there for 10 years to access those kinds of states. And once that door was open for me, what I now would understand as I started to receive kind of downloads from collective consciousness and unity consciousness. And one day I started toning. Now I had never heard of toning. I'd never done toning and I'm just sitting in bed. I was in this trance state. I was working through some trauma and I started making these sounds through my mouth. And it was like a, got so high pitched I thought I could shatter the glass in the room like an opera singer and I just was kind of in this trance state so I wasn't completely lucid but I just remember afterwards thinking what was that and it started to happen over the next week different times and I would google it and I found that these words would come to me that I'd never heard of and I would just intuitively know and I found out that toning is a real thing and that it's a way of using vibration to move things through our body and breathwork for me was very similar. Initially, it came through in this kind of trance state. I knew that I intuitively needed to start breathing in this very rhythmic pattern. And I think that some of this was collective consciousness. Some of it was perhaps my higher self, maybe past lives, medicine woman, shamanic practices. But over a course of about six months, all of the teachings that you experience, this two-hour process where breathwork is like the final piece that I use, all of these different modalities started being downloaded to me and I started working with them. Now, I was a corporate motivational speaker. So you want to talk about woo-woo and did you show up at class and think this was crazy? I'm in my bedroom having these experiences and thinking, am I losing my mind? I thought, how am I ever going to work with it? What the hell is this? What am I supposed to do with this information, let alone not just for me, but for others? I mean, I had worked on stage speaking to 5,000 people for Fortune 500s like KPMG and Xerox, and I had no experience with shamans and healers other than when I'd been introduced through plant medicine. And when I first went to Peru to work with plant medicine, it was purely because as part of my corporate work, I had been delving more and more into trauma and working with CEOs and looking at how most of their issues in leadership was to do with what had happened at five to 10. And so seeing that there was this correlation, and I called it, you can't go professionally where you won't go personally. And I started to realize that if people didn't do their deep inner work and look at their shadow and look at their core wounds, then it was going to affect them as a parent, as a mother, a father, a leader, a friend, it was showing up in your life. So I'd kind of been moving across a little bit from hardcore corporate to this more soft skills, personal growth side of things. And then when all of this started to happen, though, I was, I was completely freaked out. I was like, what is this? What am I going to do with it? How am I going to help people with any of this? This is so crazy. It was a three-year process on working through it myself and then starting to trust that it was coming through for a reason and that it was working. When I started seeing people who'd been in therapy for 30 years, who'd been neglected, starved, molested in incest situations, and they were able to clear stuff in two or three hours with me working with these modalities and using the breathwork as the purgative kind of final piece in it, I had to start trusting it. I had to start going, wow, there's really something here and it's not what I'm used to. It isn't based in me going to university or studying in a traditional way and there isn't a way to label this and 
at the same time, it's magical and I'm in awe of all of this and I want to understand more. I've got a question for you because you don't seem to be the only person that was in a, I guess, a, an executive role or in the corporate world that was maybe the word entrenched in it isn't the right word, but you know, you've invested so much of your time into your career of that space. And I'm seeing more and more people start to step out from that experience into what you're doing. And I'd love for you to explain or your perception on that. The other question is, does anybody go from this side into the corporate world? Well, yes, if your ego takes over, I don't know from this particular, you know, depends how far in they are. But I think at the end of the day, it's all around ego. When I was operating, I was one of the top real estate agents on the planet. I was in the top 001% of 120,000 agents for Remax at the time. This is 15 years ago. And I now recognize that, first of all, I want to say ego is not a bad or a dirty word, but ego is about strongly driven in the masculine. It's about ambition and hustle and drive. And I worked and operated from that place. Now, part of why I did that, if we go back to the whole thing around you can't go professionally where you won't go personally, is I was operating from my wounded five-year-old who was bullied and picked on and I spent my entire life trying to give a big finger to everyone I went to school with and big F you to prove myself. So a lot of my success, which at the time I would never have had the awareness around, but it was driven by that inner wounding. And I operated in busyness because I didn't want to have to sit in any of my shit. So I stayed busy with food, sex, drugs, alcohol, work, and all of those things distracted me from having to sit with my emotions and my feelings and my trauma and look at anything that had really gone on. And I think that this time right now in lockdown is really calling to people to have to sit in their shit and it's triggering the hell out of people. It's pushing a lot of buttons. So I think that a lot of people from the success space and the corporate space or the business world, the, the, whether they're entrepreneurs, when you're driven by ego and you're driven by a desire to prove yourself and then you start to have these experiences of awakening, whether it's through doing a 10-day Vipassana, whether it's through clearing out your body in some way with a detox, whether it's going and doing plant medicines, whether it's being in lockdown for 30 days or more. There's these different experiences that begin to awaken us. Once you're awake, you can't go back to sleep. I mean, some people do, I guess. They want to ignore it. It's too tough. It's too woo-woo. It's too crazy. I think there was a moment when this all started happening where I could have chosen to stay in the busyness. I could have kept traveling. At that point, I was a corporate motivational speaker. So I was doing 10 to 15 flights a month, traveling all over the world, speaking. I put everything on hold and went deep into this work for 18 months. Now, most people wouldn't have had the courage to do that. They would have probably done it slower or pushed it away. But there was something in me that knew I was ready and the trauma was pushing all of my buttons. So I almost felt like I didn't have the bandwidth for anything else. I had to pull back and go deep within. And when I did that, I allowed space for all of these new modalities, tools, gifts, whatever you want to call them to start coming to the surface. And I started playing with them. I started working on clients. I started sharing it with people just gently in my own circle to begin with. 
And then when I started seeing the results and I started continued doing my own work, I went to Mexico for five months to study with some shamans and Mayan healers there. I did a whole lot of different things. I went to Hawaii for three months. And so in that time, I started to learn, one, clearing my own trauma and two, learning how I could work in this new way. And now what's beautiful is that I have just had in this lockdown when most people are really struggling, I've had my busiest month of the last year. And what's beautiful about that is they're now wanting all of the work that I had truly wanted to share, the truth-telling work, the work around our inner work, our mental health, our anxiety, fears, talking about numbing, talking about what's going on personally and how that's impacting us professionally. So it's fascinating when I trusted source, life, my process, God, whatever you want to call it, the divine, when I started to truly trust that, it led me to exactly what I always wanted to do, but I didn't believe that corporates would be open to it or would book it. And that was just a story that I had in my own head. And when I got out of the way, they were all there ready to do this work. I love it. I've got this theory and it's just maybe a, a belief, but I've witnessed it over and over and over and over again with different people and even myself. I'm, I don't like to use the word challenged, but there are definitely invitations and opportunities. I'm even going through one at the moment where I have a feeling that certain aspects of the population or the energy or whatever it may be would like me to be quiet <laughs> and to the point where it's like, ah, here's an interesting thing. But what I've seen over the years is when anybody, not when anybody, but recurring theme seems to happen when somebody starts on the journey for self-improvement, obstacles that they even didn't think were around would present themselves, whether it be their family member, their partner, their romantic partner, their work colleagues will present to them a challenge or maybe a questioning of their own belief system for that person to say, are you sure you really want to do this? Look at what's going to change or you're going to fail at this and this is just another fad that you're going through. So talk to me about that because on an energetic level or a spiritual level or from a corporate level, how you see when people are wanting to climb up the ladder of their own personal evolution. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head, you know. I mean, it's a mirror of what Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey. So for anyone who wants to Google the hero's journey, as the hero, which is you in your own journey, in your own story, climbs their mountain, you're going to hit obstacles. And there's always people on the way. There's tricksters. There's, there's people who are going to question your truth and really call you to own it. You know, I there were so many moments when I get paid a lot of money to speak on big stages to 5,000 people. So it's not a small thing to walk away from, to go, are they going to pay me to do this shamanic breath work, healing work, medicine woman kind of, I'm all, now I'm playing a drum instead of carrying a microphone on stages. I'm on the plane with a drum on my back. Like what has happened to me? And so there were a lot of moments where this was a very, big financial decision for me to be willing to walk away and sacrifice what I had spent a decade building 
a brand and a career. I did a TEDx talk called You're Only As Sick As Your Secrets, where I shared some personal stuff that I thought, man, am I going to lose some corporate business if they Google me and find that video? So there was a lot of moments where I had to choose courage over comfort, where I had to trust my inner guidance that I knew with every part of me I was supposed to do that talk. I knew with every part of me that I was supposed to go on this journey to Peru and Mexico and work with shamans and healers and learn. And so I followed those whispers rather than the brother, the sister, the mother, the grandmother, anyone who you're talking about that is going to be that voice that says, you're crazy. Who are you to do that? You haven't gone and studied any of this. There's going to be that contrary, you know, or you're a conspiracy theorist. I mean, you're really out there. I mean, I live in the US and it was my sister in Australia who connected us originally. And I didn't, to be honest, didn't really follow a whole lot of your stuff. And when I saw on the news the other night how they were just crushing the vitriol and the way they were talking about some of the stuff you were sharing that was just very enlightened and a different perspective, it's like you're really getting hammered. You have to look at that and go, one, on an energetic vibrational level, when I'm attracting conflict or contrary, what is it? Is there a part of me bringing that in because we all create the whole of our reality or is it a teacher? And that's what you're talking about here is part of this clashback, a moment for us to rise up and go, you know what? I'm not going to let you quieten me because this is my truth. And just today I was doing an interview with the US about conspiracy theories because they're all around on Facebook at the moment and everyone's sharing about them. And I said, we cannot be scared to put a video up or to share something on Instagram because we're worried that we're going to have to have a day of backlash and arguments with people. And then nobody shares anything that is contrary anymore. And we lose the truth. My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. And what is that truth? Well, the truth is every individual's truth. You know, my truth is that there is something more going on right now. I don't know what it is. I don't necessarily know if we should be trusting Bill Gates or if we should be listening about 5G. I don't know. But what I know is my inner gut feeling tells me that we have always had information hidden from us. If we look at what happened in Nazi Germany, we know that there's a possibility that people can be brainwashed. So there's enough information there for me to go, something's not right. I want to be curious. I want to be open. And that's my truth. But that doesn't mean that I'm not being careful and I'm not still taking precautions and I'm not accepting the reality that we have mass graves being dug in New York City and in London. So. There can be a truth and a yes and and a yes but. There can be my truth and your truth and other friends' truth. But I think we're losing 
the ability to have the conversation in a amicable loving way without people attacking or defending or going you're an idiot or you shouldn't be saying that you know instead of going can we not research all of this can we not look at other options hear other things without getting into feeling like we're in high school again really interesting i I mean over the last week or two all i've done is share I think it's from the Sydney Morning Herald predominantly is their headline articles and just asking people what they think. You know, I'm not even putting an opinion out there because I actually, like you, I have no idea. So for me to even form an opinion about whether people should be getting tested for coronavirus or whether they shouldn't, I mean, even this concept of that is because they... The Sydney Morning Herald yesterday shared a headline saying, if you have a scratchy throat, we want you to get tested. In saying that, you know, what's going to happen? Because I've had scratchy throats before. Are they going to be inundated by a thousand people, 10,000, 50,000 people that wake up one day with a scratchy throat? And then if they do have that and they all go to these clinics or the doctors and that person didn't have a virus, but the person that's standing in front of them in the line or just just did. Right, right. They're putting themselves in a situation, in a place where we know sick people go. Yeah, that's to me is my logical thinking. And I, and I put that out there onto social media. There's so many different theories that people are saying. They're saying, oh, no, they just want to be able to track us. And this is part of it. They want to take our DNA samples. This is all a ploy. And then we have the other side, which is, you know what? No, this is actually because there was a healthcare worker that had a sore throat or scratchy throat. And she didn't know that or he didn't know that they were contagious, if that is the truth. And didn't know they had virus. And apparently they went on and infected people in a nursing home. So it's fascinating because... Because my question to myself and what I'm, I'm like, I didn't even look at either of those sides. But my question was, well, if a thousand people go to the clinic tomorrow and two have it, then what possibility will there, if it is contagious, which they're saying it is, does that open the can of worms for another, those 998 people to get it? Here's the thing I think is at the core of this though, that question you have going on is at the core of what most of us sitting in our homes are experiencing. This frustration of, oh my God, why are people not getting it? One person might be sitting in their home thinking that. What, why are they out there all walking like nothing's going on close to each other and there's people in mass graves? Then you have another person who's like, why are they handling it this way? This seems crazy. They should have just locked up all the old people and the people at risk and the rest of us could have gone about our day. So we all have different ideas based on, and some of it on some science, some of it from the WHO, the CDC, from past other countries and their data, you know, but the the reality is we live each in an individual country. Thank God we're here and (laughs) got stuck here and not back home in the US right now because you don't have any control in a lot of ways to what the greater government is going to do if they're shutting you down or keeping you shut down for longer. A lot of us don't have a huge amount of control or say in changing that. And I think this is at the core of us coming back to our own, on an energetic level, we have sovereignty. We do create the whole of our reality. And so what you have control of is you can look outside and see the whole world as Armageddon. And you can be operating from fear and 
lack and scarcity and worry, or you can be seeing the world from a view that I think I live in most of the time of abundance and love and healing for humanity and that this virus is medicine and that it's going to, through the pain, rebirth and do a lot of good. That's all you can control is how you're viewing the world and that you're putting things out there in the world, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or with friends and family, that is curious, open-minded, with the intention of love and sharing. And then how other people receive it is not something we can control. Which then takes us back to your healing modality, which is breathwork. And can you talk us through the process of that and how long does a breathwork ceremony generally go for? And what truths can people realize about themselves in a breathwork ceremony? What do you find the most fascinating about your work and your clients where they come out of and go, I had no idea that that was inside of me. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's the most humbling experience of my life, as well as speaking on stage. I mean, when you speak on stage and you do a lot of work around transformation and trauma, you hear from a lot of people that you help them or support them in some way, inspire them. And I had also on YouTube, I have a Kirsty TV program where I'd interviewed people who'd been through incest, rape, addiction, cutting, you know, everything you can imagine. And I always said that when I did those interviews, I felt like I got to hold somebody's heart in my hands. It was the most connected, beautiful conversation for someone to open up and share their deepest truths. And this work has taken that to a whole other level for me. There's nothing more beautiful than having somebody come and sit in ceremony and work through their deepest stuff and do that, whether it's in a group setting or one-on-one. It is just awe-inspiring and divine. I don't even have words in the human language, I don't think, for the beauty of it. And you reference breathwork, and breathwork is a very small piece of what I do. I, I call the entire process like truth-telling. But the breathwork for me is similar to, for those who've experienced plant medicines like ayahuasca, ayahuasca works by first surfacing stuff. She's really there to go deep within your psyche and surface what's there in the past that we maybe have forgotten about or are not aware is still threaded through and impacting us from that young age to the way we're showing up in a relationship in terms of the way we argue or communicate or love or withhold or the armor that we may have up around our heart, then it takes you through a process of really being willing to feel it. We cannot heal anything if we're not willing to feel it. And this is one of the biggest blocks that people have is they're terrified to feel it. It's almost like a physical pain. And so trusting themselves, getting themselves to a place where they feel held in a sacred, safe space, where they're willing to allow whatever is there to come to the surface and move through them and trusting that they will move through it, not that they will be stuck in the middle, which is why a lot of people don't begin the work or finish their work. If they have unresolved grief or childhood trauma, a lot of the times they'll park it and push it away and think it's too painful to go back through. And then the third part with medicine is typically that you will have this purging And so I have used, whether it's screen therapy, whether it's toning, using sound, breath, humming, singing, 
and then the breath work as well. The ways that I help people to have that physical purge and take them on a very similar mimic journey over anywhere from 90 minutes to three hours, depending on the client and what we're dealing with and what's surfacing. And using where I don't have plant medicine, but I have had a lot of people who've done ayahuasca, for example, who've come to my sessions and said, wow, you know, this for me, this was deeper than my medicine journey. And I think what's different is medicine can be a punch in the face that some people need, like a real quick, brutal, fast way to break down your resistance and go into some of this stuff that when you use meditation, trans work, hypnosis, breath work, any of those modalities, you're relying on just you and your body and your breath and your toning. It can be a slower experience for some, but as I said, I've had people who first experience have broken through 20, 30 years of stuff that they sometimes didn't even know was still there and impacting them and sometimes were aware of and didn't know how to move through. I had one lady who had been neglected and starved by her mother and father and molested by her neighbour pretty much every week from age four to 11. And she had been in 30 years of therapy and had been to therapy the hour before she came to see me. And after our session, she sent me this beautiful letter and we still stay connected. And she said to me, I felt like parts of myself returned that I had lost like at age eight, nine, and I had never been able to tap into in therapy. It was almost like I would see them as black and I just couldn't retrieve them. There's a difference where a traditional therapy, it's talk therapy and you're talking from your conscious self. This work, breath work, meditation, regression work, hypnosis, all of that helps you to drop into that mild trance state where you can go just a little bit beneath the surface into some of the subconscious and you can access stuff that is maybe not as surface level with that 40-year-old self or whatever age you are now who thinks with their rational brain they know what the problem is and you can delve a little bit beneath the surface to what is really going on and where this stuff is threaded back to a core wounding experience is what I call it. So a core wounding experience might be a memory of sitting on the steps and your dad leaving and your parents divorcing. And now for one particular client, that was news to them. It was a surprise. They were too young to have picked up any signals. So it was like out of the blue. So it wasn't so much that specific experience that was the wounding, but it was the story that child in that moment created and the story was that everything can fall apart at any moment and so she took that into her relationships and was always on eggshells she could never fully love she could never fully open her heart because she was always armored up and ready for that moment when they could leave when everything could fall apart going back and being able to identify where a wounding experience might be and the story that your younger self created around it for protection and then being able to work through and see, well, where is that still showing up in my life and how do I help clear that? I guess playing devil's advocate here is what are the dangers? What are the risks involved in doing breath work either by yourself or with a practitioner of any type? You know, I think all of this work, you need to feel safe. There were some studies done with different modalities in psychotherapy, Freud, Jung, looking at 
which modalities work the best. And basically what they found is what works the best is dependent on the relationship that the client has with the therapist or counsellor or whoever they're working with. And I think it's the same with when you look at people in the healing spaces. You know, you need to be with someone that you implicitly trust, you feel holds a sacred space, and you only go as, you know, at the beginning of all of the sessions, I set up what some of the risks are and what to be aware of. And you only go as deep, no matter how much the practitioner pushes you, if you are feeling like it's too much, you have to be able to listen to your body. So you only go where you're ready for and you do this work. I mean, even plant medicines, I always say to people like, I have so many warnings. I am not someone who's like, go to Peru, go to the jungle. You know, it sent me down a dark, dark place for a good couple of years Had I not had the kind of background I had and all of the work, I mean, by that point, I had done my TEDx talk on shame and secrets. I had created a six-week online therapy program with a therapist and a psychotherapist. So I had a lot of friends in that space and I had a lot of support that I could call on. Otherwise, I think someone in my situation may have ended up in a psychiatric ward. So I always have massive warnings around any of this work that you have to be supported with a team of people who can help you you have to be in a really great place and follow people for a while you know see what they're sharing see how they're living their own life you know it's like the whole we study from coaches who want to make us millionaires and then they're living in a rat infested home with no car and debt so you really need to know who you're spending time with who you're studying with who you're practicing with what their own experiences are and feel into what feels good. I mean, even in Peru, you can go and work with these amazing shamans and healers, but are there also charlatans? Are there also people now who are just doing this to make money? Absolutely. You've got to be intuitive. And the hard thing is for people who are suffering from childhood trauma, particularly sexual abuse, and people who have PTSD, They are not always the most discerning of people because they've shut down their intuition. They've been incredibly wounded and hurt. And so sometimes they end up attracting people who will hurt them. So they definitely have to do a little bit more vetting and really being clear about who they're going to work with. I love it. And I guess any advice or recommendations or perceptions on for our listeners at this particular point in time in human history, which is now, which will always be now. So <laughs> that's what I often say. I'm like, now's a good time to be looking after your health. Now's always a good time, whether it was 10 years ago or tomorrow or now, it's always a good time to be going inwards and maybe sorting out the priorities and your values. But what would you say to anybody that's listening now? You know, that is what the medicine of this virus, of this time, of this experience is saying to us, you know, sit with your feelings, sit with your triggers, sit with your trauma, sit with your past, feel your feelings. That is what will awaken you and reconnect you to yourself. Whereas if you're numbing with food, sex, drugs and alcohol and every other way, a lot of busyness has been taken out of the equation for us. But If you are doing that, then you are going to miss the opportunity to connect with yourself. So the more in tune we are in terms of the work you do with food and health and that, for me, it's all about vibration and frequency. You know, the higher your vibration is, the 
more connected you are to yourself. The higher your vibration is, the lighter you feel, the less likely you're going to get pulled into dark thoughts and fear and anxiety and stress. It's all connected. The more you work on your vibration, the higher your immune system is going to be. So if you do get sick, you're going to be okay, hopefully. The thoughts have a vibration and frequency. So the more you're obsessive and fearful and thinking, oh my God, I've got to wash my hands 500 times a day, the more your vibration is going to decrease. The more you have thoughts like, Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. That famous old German song I've seen on Facebook. But the more you think like that, you can still be conscious and be careful and be aware, but not be thinking into the low vibration, dark, toxic ways of thinking about all of this. Keep yourself positive. Keep yourself in a high vibration. Watch and read podcasts like this and Kirsty TV on YouTube and your book and put things in that are good for you. Do not sit and watch hours of news or go through the feed and see all the crap on Facebook and then wonder why you're feeling depressed and sluggish. It is a choice to sit with the heavier feelings and emotions and to do our inner work is work. It is our greatest, most important work that we can do. And being pulled out of the system right now, the matrix of what we thought work was about, there is nothing more beautiful and profound. So do not waste these weeks, months, however long this is, really gift to yourself this moment of deep inner work and connection with yourself. I love it so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Kirsty. I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity to go through a ceremony of breathwork with you and members of my family. I just want to say that I love you. Thank you so much for joining us today and have a wondrous, beautiful and awe-inspiring experience. Thank you. I love you too. See ya. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor 
endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.